for launch of the Terranauts podcast. And how about that intro music and Apollo 11 Capcom chatter? Before I hand it over to Ian, I wanted to let you know that you can now find Terranauts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, and your favorite podcast app. If you like the podcast, please write a glowing review. Now, here's Terranauts. Hello, it's Ian Christie, and this is episode one of Terranauts. My guest today is Stéphane Germain, the president of GHGSAT of Montreal. And simply put, he's here today because he's one of the few people I know who actually owns his own satellite, and that makes him a Terranaut in my books. So without further ado, welcome, Stéphane Germain. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. So I didn't give much detail about your uh, bio in the lead-in. Um, what were you doing before you founded GHGSAT? So I started my career as uh, an engineer, and um, I'm not sure I'm qualified to call myself an engineer anymore. <laughs> That's been a long time. But uh, I went from engineering to project management to business management and eventually found my way to running my own business. And, and so what, literally one day you just woke up and said to yourself, I think I'll build me a satellite or, you know, how did, how did that? <laughs> it's been a long road and a very deliberate road. I think I'm one of the very lucky people in the world who's known what he wanted to do from a very young age. I knew from when I was old enough to remember playing with Legos and building space stations <laughs> with Legos that I wanted to be in the space business. And I've literally built my entire career deliberately to get to the point of uh, having my own business in, in space and in Earth observation and uh, in space avionics. So, so um, let's just skip ahead, skip to the end for a minute and, and let you uh, tell us about exactly what is GHGSAT and uh, who is Claire and um, you know, what all of that is about. Well, GHGSAT uh, uses its own satellites to monitor greenhouse gas emissions from industrial facilities around the world. The business was started on the premise that where there's a value to a ton of carbon, of carbon emissions, that industrial operators will be motivated to better understand, control, and ultimately reduce their emissions. And so we designed a system to be able to do exactly that, help operators directly understand their emissions and then help them track the reduction in their emissions as they implement various mitigations or reductions. So that's that's the, the, the mission and purpose of GHGSAT. I mean, ultimately, our vision is that we want to be the world's provider of objective, transparent greenhouse gas emissions data uh, for all industries and um, all sources of emissions. Now, Claire is the name of our first satellite, 
we decided early on that we wanted to name our satellites after the children of our team members. And uh, the first name we chose is Claire, who's the daughter of our lead systems person. And uh, we have since uh, named two other satellites. So our second satellite is named Iris, who's also named after uh, one of the members of our, uh, the daughters of our, uh, 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 one of the members of our science team. And I'll give you a scoop, Ian. Uh, we're about to put out a press release tomorrow that our next satellite is going to be named Hugo. Okay. And Hugo is the son of, uh, again, one of the members of our science team. So that, that, that tomorrow may not be tomorrow by the time we release this podcast, but, but at least I'll <laughs> okay. heard it first, even if the listeners don't. Um, you, so, you heard it first. Yeah, we heard it first. Um, so when you start something like this, so first of all, when, when did you actually decide that you were going to try and build a satellite and build a business around that satellite? Well, like I said, it started a long, long time ago. Uh, I, I founded a company in 1998 that sat dormant for 12 years while I built up the courage to actually decide to get in, to become an entrepreneur. And I guess the most specific timeframe I can give you is uh, in 2010, um, I became a business partner with uh, two other people in Zyphos, which is a company that produces avionics for satellites and other spacecraft. And, in uh, joining Zyphos, we very deliberately decided, uh, the three of us who are the partners now in Zyphos, that we wanted to expand into adjacent markets. And I knew at that point, even before joining Zyphos, it was part of the decision, that um, having our own satellite operating company was in the cards. Now, exactly what form that was going to take didn't become clear until the summer of 2010, when the government of Quebec announced a cap and trade scheme with the government of California. And that's when the light bulb went off. That's when I knew that uh, there, we, we had the technology to better measure greenhouse gas emissions at an industrial facility scale um, than what was available with existing technologies. I knew I, I had an idea of how I'd get the financing for that. And um, more importantly, I knew that we had potential customers for that kind of service. And that's when the idea for GHGSAC came together. So, so you decide that, that essentially you're going to start a business and the, the business is going to be built around um, you know, a novel concept, a novel satellite. What, what's the first thing you do when you decide that, that you're going to try and make that a reality? The very first thing, top of the list by far, is make sure there's a need for what you want to build. And so that's the okay. first thing we did is we went and surveyed well over 100 potential customers to tell them about the value proposition we had in mind and check whether or not that's something they'd want to pay for. And if it wasn't exactly uh, what we were offering, wasn't exactly what they're willing to pay for, then make sure we adjusted um, to meet their needs. And and then from there, you know, everything falls from there because that sets the requirements, you know, in in engineering speak of of what you're going to build. 
So, so now you know you have potential customers. I assume the next part is you got to find somebody who's prepared to make an investment of paper. <laughs> yeah, a little detail. So um, that's right. So, just honestly, how many of those people looked at you like you were out of your mind when you came and asked them for money to build a satellite? You know, I got really lucky because uh, only one. <laughs> Before I got the money, um, it it's a lot since then, by the way. But <laughs> in, in the in the first in the first iteration, um, we went to uh, well, we, so we went to talk to customers. As for the financing, we went to uh, two tech funds in Canada, and one of them pretty much looked at us like we were crazy, and the other one the other one said yes, and that was all in the space of what, three to six months from when the original light bulb went off. It, that's important because if, if the original reaction had been no from both of them, that probably would have taken a lot of the wind out of the sails. Yeah, yeah. so you, you have customers, you have people who are prepared to consider making investment. Um, you know, how, when along the road did it actually start to become tangible? Is it, is it when you sign a contract? Is it when you see the first design? Like when do you suddenly sit back and go, holy cow, I'm building a satellite? Uh, about uh, a couple of days before launch. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, we, we really uh, weren't 100% convinced that this thing was actually going to work and make it to orbit um, until everything came together and everything coming together was literally right before launch. I mean, you can get well down the road in building parts of a satellite, in raising financing to do all the engineering and all of that, getting even initial contracts from customers. But um, until you know the thing's actually going to make it to orbit, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of uncertainty. And it, it took, like all launches, it took, a, you know, I think six months after the original launch date for us to actually make it to space. And uh, so it was, it was, it was quite a shock and it, it, it really dawned on me then that this was, this was finally happening. Wow. So, so how long did it take to actually get to launch? You, you started the company in 2010. When did you launch? So we launched in 2016 in June of 2016. And right. I'd say things really got serious and to answer your other question a little less flippantly. Um, yes. We, we got the, financing all signed off and the customers all lined up and the partners all lined up in about the 2012 time frame. It took us about a year right. after the initial okay from the funding uh, source to pull it right. all together. And so the actual satellite manufacturing uh, through its various iterations uh, took uh, three to four years. Okay. So, so basically when you get the team together and you have the first kickoff meeting, that's, that's kind of when it really becomes real. Certainly, that's one of the points where you 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 have a sanity check. And I, I I remember sitting around the room looking at everybody and saying, "Well, I guess I should say something because I'm the customer." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I started so, it off, and it's funny because uh, one of the other people who shall remain nameless in the room looked around and said, "Where's the customer?" And I looked yeah, at right, myself and I said, right. "I guess that's me." Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. would be me. Uh, so, but I guess it's also the point, that point at which you realize that, that actually now there are people who are expecting this to actually pay their salaries. Yeah. Well, we were very uh, cautious about that, and we only brought on people as we knew we could afford to have people. Uh, also, the other very important thing in our approach is that uh, we don't actually manufacture anything at GHGSAT. We outsource all of that, and that allowed yeah. us to stay really lean and rely on our partners and their partners' existing infrastructure to uh, provide the, the, the people and the assets. So that sure. helped too. Sure. 
but but your partners are making a commitment, and they're going to expect you to pay them at some point, whether yeah, you launch successfully idea. or not. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so so were there points? So you know, almost four years from the time that you really start designing a satellite, six six years from the time that you had the idea before you actually get into space. Were there points in that time when you basically looked at the whiteboard and said, <laughs> oh, yeah, this several. isn't going to happen? <laughs> I think the, the, the one that's the most memorable is uh, at PDR, at a preliminary design review. We uh, looked at our requirements. Yeah. We looked at the design we came up with and realized this isn't going to work. <laughs> we, uh, we thought we would be having to invent new technology that was beyond the realm of what was physically possible. Um, right. Yeah. So breaking the laws of physics turned out not to be a good idea. Not a good business plan. So in a sense though, the silver lining was that um, when we then had to stare at the whiteboard and come up with a new idea that didn't bend the laws of physics, um, we came up with an, an entirely new idea that was patentable. Really? So we had something that expanded beyond the state of the art. I mean, uh, beyond what the, the ideas we had brought to the table as part of the original proposal right. and even stretching the state of the art. And it turns out it had never been done before and therefore was patentable. Wow. And that helped the business I'll a bet. lot. So uh, it was it was it was a scary moment, but it, there, there was certainly a pretty good silver line. Right. So so just finding someone to actually get this thing off the planet was a bit of a journey, too, was it not? <laughs> yes, it was. That was another one of those moments because uh, we were originally baselined on uh, Dnieper. If uh, if you're familiar with that launch vehicle, right. it's a Russian Ukrainian joint venture. And uh, in the time frame that we're talking about here, 2013 to 2016, um, Russia decided to invade Crimea right. uh, and uh, kind of upset the Ukrainians. Yeah. And that meant the Russian Ukrainian joint venture wasn't going so well right. anymore. Right. So that was the end of that launch vehicle, and uh, we had to go look for another one that uh, turned out to cost a whole lot more. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we had to switch launch vehicles midstream, so to speak, and find, you know, another million bucks or so. No big deal. Right, and that's and that's all pre-revenue, right? So you're having to find that money before you've actually made yeah, it. Yeah, sure. I kind of shook the piggy bank and see what I could find, but <laughs> didn't get to a million. Right. So, so who did you eventually launch with? So we wound up launching with the Indian government, with ISRO, the Indian Space Research Organization, on a polar satellite launch vehicle, a PSLV, right. and uh, that worked out great. And and where did where did it launch from? It launches from India. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the launch pad, but, ah, but it's okay. but it's uh, in southeastern India. Right now, did you go to the launch? Unfortunately, I didn't. Uh, it you know sometimes in a relationship with uh, you have to make some compromises, and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> had booked that time away for business travel and uh, I couldn't leave my kids alone. So I figured, you know what, it's going right. to be there for the next one. And uh, the, again, there was a silver right. lining there because I wound up sitting in a bar with the team watching the lunch. And that was right. probably right. just as good, you know, right. because it was, it, was, it was a great experience to share together. Sure. Right. Because if you'd gone, it probably just would have been you. You wouldn't have been able to take everybody with you, right? Exactly. So, so what's it like? You're sitting in a bar. I imagine you might have had a beverage or two uh, at that point. Uh, you're sitting watching the rocket sitting on the launch pad, knowing that six years of your life is basically loaded onto what is effectively a very large bomb with a hole in one end. 
uh, and it's going to be blasted into our orbit, hopefully. What, what's going through your mind at that point? Fortunately, I didn't have to wait too long because it goes pretty quick. But um, I think the most memorable part of that launch for me was that uh, we, we were watching a live webcast and the webcast froze right. at about T minus 10 seconds. Well, of course it did. Of course it did. <laughs> and it didn't come back until T plus 20 seconds or something. So there was, uh, you know, right. a few heart issues <laughs> through that little period. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and then that, yeah, you yeah. Know, when it came back online, then, then we all high-fived and, you know, celebrated and watched very right. eagerly through the next 15 minutes or so until it finally sure. separated from the rocket. Yeah. So, so when did you really start breathing again after it launched? Like when, when did you feel like it, you were through uh, that? Probably around phase. the 15 minute mark afterwards. Cause then at that point, you know, it's separated. And right. I would say probably the riskiest part of the entire journey is, is done. Uh, just that launch portion really is completely beyond yeah. your control. And like you say, it's, it's kind of scary. Uh, so how long did you have to wait until you knew the satellite was actually working? And were there any tense moments while you were waiting it for it to become operational? Actually, it wasn't too bad. Uh, we waited, I think it was less than 24 hours before we had our first telemetry back. And uh, we were able to get first images back within about a week. And um, that, there was another hugely satisfying moment when we got our first images back and just from our images we can get an idea of the quality of the spectroscopy we'll be able to do with the instrument and the first images came back just perfect and we were absolutely thrilled wow. a, a lot of people a lot of people staring at their computer screens with their mouths open probably for a little while yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was very much a, a, a happy moment because at that point we knew we had uh, survived the launch, not just the actual launch, but also that the instrument, which is yeah. a pretty delicate optical yeah. instrument, yeah, yeah, had yeah. survived all the vibrations and everything else. So uh, from there, it, it was all delivering all what we said we, we were going to do. Sure. I mean, for, for anybody who's listening, who's actually worked in, in the business, it's, it's, you don't worry about whether or not the rocket's not going to work. You wonder just what the heck that ride to orbit is going to do to your delicate instrument, I think, more than anything, right? That's right. It, it is. It is not a kind way to treat a piece of sensitive electronics or optics at all. No, I really don't like the vibration tests either. And uh, <laughs> no, no, even watching them gives you the heebie-jeebies. Right? Uh, exactly. I just kind of get a cold shiver when I see those. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever, I, we at one point built an instrument that had to go through a drop test, and and I couldn't even watch the video. Though. <laughs> no, I, yeah. <laughs> You're going to do what to that? Oh, my gosh. Anyways, um, so, so how does a day in the life of Claire unfold? Well, we on a daily basis, we look at a list of priorities of sites that are going to be within our field of view through the orbit that, that we're in in that particular day. And we prioritize based on which ones are for paying customers, which ones are likely for paying customers, you know, sure. which ones for calibration, things like that. And yeah, then yeah. we make our yeah. choices and we send a, a daily update yeah. up to yeah. the satellite to schedule it, schedule its observation. Do you, do you do that from your desk in your office or how does, uh, you know, where is GHGSAT mission control? Well, so in sort of classic space terms, the, the POC, the Payload and Operations Center, is actually here in Montreal at our office. And the spacecraft control is actually at a SFL, the Space Flight Lab at the University of Toronto. So again, in the spirit of outsourcing, we saw no need to replicate the satellite control portion of that because, you know, who better than the manufacturer to, to, to take care of that, right? So 
So we do the, but because the set, the spacecraft is, is slave to the payload, really the, uh, the control effectively comes out of here. Right. So, so can you sit at your desktop though and, and dial in to see what Claire is seeing like right now? I can dial into exactly where it is and I can see what's scheduled. And as soon as an image comes down, I can go to the server and take a look at what it is. Yeah. But I can't, you know, we don't have a live view of through the telescope or anything. No, it doesn't have a live view. But do you ever sort of sit there and look at this and go, wow, that's, that's my satellite and it's not on the planet with me? (laughs) That is a cool feeling. It really is to know that uh, there's this object whizzing around the earth that we put our blood, sweat and tears into that's beaming down some really yeah. useful information to help, you know, in the fight against climate change. And, and that, it feels yeah. good. It really does. Yeah. Well, you know, before I say anything else, let me just say congratulations because it's a heck of a story. Well, thanks, Ian. And, you know, it's it's been uh, a lot of us together that made it happen and the team's ever growing. And this is just the beginning. It's just so much fun to see yeah. what we can build together. And uh, the next two satellites that we're going to launch are going to be even better and like far better and we're really excited to see the results of those because it's i think that we've already seen some eye-popping results from claire but iris and hugo are going to have 10 times better performance and we're expecting to just be blown away by what we're going to see wow see you're going to have to start making t-shirts for the kids that these are named after like you know you know like named after me or something like i gotta be careful not to scoop somebody here but somebody's even thinking about writing a children's book for them (laughs) based on all the satellites names Ah, ah. okay (laughs) well we'll 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 have we'll talk about that when it comes out so so other than iris and hugo what's next well, we got uh, an aircraft sensor that's going to be flying for the first time this fall. And we have uh, started a whole analytics group that uh, is based in Ottawa, actually, that is um, working right. on taking all the data we collect from the satellite and turn it into insights to information that customers really uh, want to pay for. And so the combination right. of the satellite technology and the operations in Montreal with the aircraft operations and um, business in Calgary and the analytics in Ottawa, I think is a, a you know, a fantastic uh, capability that we have. And I'm really excited to see that being brought to bear on our next two satellites and the, next, and the first aircraft sensor. Then beyond that, uh, we have 10 more in the plans for the next two years, 10 more satellites. And, 10 more and five aircraft systems. So there's, there's a lot on the books to come. And like I said, even that's just the beginning because with the adjacent markets, the business opportunities uh, are just tremendous in this, this, this area. So, so you have literally spent your working life trying to get to space, you know, without ever leaving the ground. Um, what advice would you give someone who wants to, quote unquote, get into the space business? That it's a whole heck of a lot easier now than it was for me. <laughs> so just do yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's um, the opportunities now are much more attainable. You can launch a CubeSat now with, uh, you know, a fraction of what the budget was when I first thought about this in 1998, um, just started, thought about starting right. a business. You couldn't think about doing a satellite for less than a hundred million dollars. Now you can do that for, no, you know, a whole no, lot right. less than that, well under a million dollars. And so it's, it's much easier. Um, it's easier is maybe not fair. It's much more accessible. And so if you, if you're really passionate about this yes. and uh, if you really want to do it, do it. But one more piece of advice, 
make sure you're serving a need. Go find, you know, find your customer first. Don't just build it because mm-hmm. it's, you want to find a, a, a purpose and an application, a need that right. you think is going to be, you know, absolutely uh, a world beater and something that will sustain itself and then go serve that need. So I, I think it's tremendous, tremendous opportunities out there. I'm really excited for right. anybody that wants to enter this business now. Well, that's, uh, that's great advice. As usual, it has been a pleasure talking to you today, Stefan. And you can add Terranauts to your list of firsts. Thank you for being our inaugural guest. Thank you, Ian. It's been a pleasure. Okay, I think it's safe to roll the credits on Terranauts Episode 1. Thanks for joining us. If you have comments on this episode, you can email us at podcast at spaceq.ca. We'll read and answer all of your comments in a timely fashion. By the way, you can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space. And I'll remind you that SpaceQ posts all of our articles and podcasts to Facebook. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Thanks again for tuning in. Next week, Mark will be back with a regular SpaceQ podcast, but we'll see you again soon for another episode of Terranauts, where we'll enjoy a trip to space without ever leaving the ground. Come on, let's keep the chatter down.